0: we cry out, Jesus. In our desperation, in our longing, we lift our eyes to the heavens. The Savior that was promised reached down to us, becoming flesh. At His entrance, they laid palms at His feet, as today, in His presence, we fall to our knees. We cry out to Him hanging on the cross, the righteous one whose blood broke the curse an act of love that saved our souls, overflowing redemption making us whole. No nail to the bones could hold him. No crown of thorns could shame him. Because he is the one. No tomb could contain him. Death could not stop him. He conquered the grave and rose from death victorious. We cry out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You are the resurrection and the life. In you, all things come alive. We will forever declare the mighty power of your name. We cry out with everything we have. We need you, Savior, and nothing else, because in you, we are saved by grace. Your glory will shine upon the world, and every tongue will cry out, Jesus is the Lord.
1: The word in my heart today for you is urgency. And I need you to see why it's so urgent. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 19 and I'm going to tell you a story. Today I've entitled this message, The Visitation of the King. We like to call it the triumphant entry, but I want you to see it as the visitation of the king. Let me tell you a story about the visitation that Jerusalem had with a man who was the world power at his day. His name was Alexander the Great. This is a true story. It's recorded in the writings of the historian Josephus, and he talks about the day in 332 where Alexander the Great came to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, I I went a couple years ago, Pastor Mike has been there recently, Jerusalem over its history has been conquered 44 times. That's a lot. And this was one of the times it wasn't conquered but should have been. And the story as Josephus tells it is, Alexander the Great sends word, he had already defeated other cities in in Judea and also in Lebanon, and he, he tells them, I want you to open the doors of Jerusalem. I'm going to come in and sacrifice to your God there. I'm going to to come in. I want you to open up the doors, accept my kingship. Now, that's what he would typically say to a lot of the cities that he would come through. But he tells them, open up the gates. And there is a high priest at the time, and he says, I'm not going to do that. Because... Alexander the Great worshipped foreign gods there's only one god in 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 Israel right one god of the Jewish people so he was like I'm not opening up the doors we will not accept your kingship and he sends word back to them we're not going to do it well when Alexander the Great hears this he's angry he's incredibly angry and he's got four generals and those four generals are angry with him Fended at the Jewish people that they didn't open the gates. And so they're salivating to see what he's going to do to Jerusalem because they know what he've all, he's already done to other cities. And so as he's coming in, the night passes, and God visits the high priest with a dream. And he tells the high priest, you are not going to close the doors to Alexander, you are going to open the doors, you're going to present all the priests of the Lord in their priestly raiment, you're going to put them all outside the gates, open the gates, and welcome him when he comes. And he's like, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? But that was the dream. So he tells everybody, and he presents all the priests of the Lord outside with the open gates. Alexander the Great is walking up, he's leading Forward into this group of priests, the four generals walking behind him, and all of a sudden, the thing that happens that they never would have expected to happen, not no, no one could have imagined when Alexander the Great gets down on his knees and prostrates himself before the high priest of God. Everybody's mouth drops. What in the world is going on here? And the people that did not understand it more than any other were the four generals. And all of a sudden, he gets up off of his knees, and he said, your God visited me in a dream last night. Your God told me that I'm to come here and offer sacrifices to him. And everybody's like, what? And so the high priest calls. He says, go get the book of Daniel, which was written 400 years before this event. Go get the book of Daniel. They bring out the book of Daniel. They open it up, and the priests begin to read Daniel chapter 8, which says that after the Medes and the Persians, another empire is going to arise. It's going to be the Grecian Empire, and there's going to be a goat. That goat is going to have one horn, and he's going to destroy the, the other animal that was before him, the Medes and the Persians. It's going to set up. This is what the goat is. He looks at Alexander the Great and goes, You're the goat! You're the goat. And Alexander the Great is moved. He doesn't destroy the city, and, he, and, and there's rejoicing over this situation. Now, that was in 332. The ancient picture in the world was that when the king comes, open the gates. If you're loyal to the king and his lordship and kingship, you're going to come outside the city gates. You're going to present yourself. No weapons. You submit to the kingship of that great king. That's the ancient picture. The triumphant entry is the exact same picture. Those that were loyal were to come out and present themselves, and those who were disloyal were going to hide behind the walls. So, You've heard the story read this morning, but I'm going to pick up on four points because I want to tell you a different side of this story, a side that we should know is all a part of the story. I want you to see Jesus' spirit as he comes in. I want you to pay attention to the compassion of the king. Look in chapter 19 in verse 37 through 42 here. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, that the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice, for they were for all the miracles which they had seen. Everybody say miracles. Saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude were saying to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What is he saying? The word Hosanna, maybe your your Bible reads Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means deliver now. Hosanna, son of David. Deliver now, son of David. What are they calling for? Beat the Romans. Destroy the Romans. Set us free. They're all thinking earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom. And when all of the people are waving the palm leaves and they're saying, This statement, the Pharisees know what that means. It means war with Rome and no one can defeat Rome. And they are thinking, it's going to be a bloodbath if this happens. And Jesus listens to them saying, shut up your disciples. And he says in verse 40, and he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones Will cry out. Now, some theologians said, you know, hey, the Bible says the trees of the field will clap their hands. Maybe trees can clap their hands. Maybe stones have mouths that can actually open up. I have a little bit different interpretation to that. You see, when cities were destroyed, when cities were sacked, and we're gonna see the context here that leads to a siege mentality. How do you destroy the ancient walls? If they won't open up the gates for you, when you come in to declare your kingship, How do you get them to do that? You fire catapults at them, and you break down their walls, and as the rocks are hurling through the air, they make a noise. They cry out. If if you won't accept the kingship, the rocks will cry out. There will be destruction I want you to see that this grieves Jesus. We'll just keep reading. In verse 40, it says, and when he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it. Now, there's two places I can think of in scripture where it says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept when Lazarus was dead because this was his friend. And it says that he wept here over the city. He wept over it. Now, I don't think this is a Ooh, blub blub, kind of prayer, or kind of kind of cry. I think this is a heaving sorrow that that Jesus had over the city. And just so we know, Jesus does not care about buildings. A city is not buildings. Cities are people. He's weeping over the people. He's mourning over them, but why is he doing that? If everybody's so happy, why is he not happy? Why is he weeping? He says, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's coming to make peace on behalf of those who are enemies of his father. Enemies of the cross, he's come to make peace. He's saying, you don't understand what peace is going to cost. You don't get it. He says, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. And folks, I'd like to tell you that there's lots of people who understood that day, but I believe everybody missed it. His disciples missed it. All those waving palm branches missed it. They think he's a different kind of king, but he didn't come to free them from the political tyranny of Rome. He came to set them free from their sins. And he, the king, has compassion over the cities. He weeps over those that will be lost. He's weeping over those who have missed the day of their visitation. They didn't realize who he was. I want you to see now beyond his compassion, I want you to see his concern. In the very next verses in 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon each other because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. Everybody say visitation. He's literally declaring the prophetic prophecy, the prophetic word that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You didn't see me as your king. You missed who I was. If you missed who I was, you're going to miss who other kings when they come. And what's going to happen is is that there is going to be you're going to build up ramps against your walls that's what you do you you build up what's called siege ramps you bring in siege engines you bring in catapults you bring in ballistas you level walls you figure out how to battering ram the walls down until you can take the city that's what a siege is and that's exactly what Jesus says is going to happen and it did happen exactly that way just 40 years after he prophesied this is called the great Siege and destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Roman named Titus. And he's concerned for them because he knows that because they didn't know who he was, it's going to get worse. There's going to be real problems as a result. Josephus records all of this. I, I encourage you, just go... You say, I don't like history. I want to make history make sense for you. But if you go to just YouTube and watch the siege of Jerusalem and see that that's exactly what they did, all the siege ramps, exactly what Jesus said. They leveled it to the ground. They surrounded it. They built, see, Jerusalem thought their walls were going to save them. Rome literally built a wall around the city so no one could get out. And he was devastated so greatly that if you were a passerby and came by the city, when they say not one stone was left on each other, that's literally what happened to the temple. Not, they were so angry by the time that they took, because the Jews fought against them in 70 AD, they, they were so angry they took out their bloodlust on the very building itself, burnt uh, the, the, the temple to the ground and literally threw the rocks down, so not one stone was left upon another. And Jesus was concerned for them. He knew that it was not going to just cost them their lives. It was going to cost them their children's lives. It going to kill your children within you. You see, because when we don't understand the day of the visitation of the king, though he has compassion and though he has concern, My friends, there's something else that's true about a king. It's called the consequences. A king has consequences. We like to tell the triumphant entry story, but we don't look to see what comes before it. What comes before it is a parable called the parable of the minas. If you have a King James Version in your Bible, it will say the parable of the pounds. I'm going to read you that parable. And I want you to think about a lot of people want to they want to worship a Jesus who's really nice. A Jesus who has he looks like a um, like an Esquire model. He's got long hair, he's limp wristed. That's not who Jesus was at all. And while we like a lot of the things that Jesus says, how many know he's everything he says he is? There's a statement at the end of this parable that's going, it should, I hope it does this. I hope it makes your blood curdle. Let me read it. Starting in verse 11 of the very same chapter, 19. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. So this is before the triumphant entry. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately and he said to them a certain nobleman went into a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return and he called 10 of his slaves and he gave to them 10 minas and said to them do business with this until i come back now this is a different parable than the parable of the talents what is what 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 you'll see some differences but the amount of money is very different. A talent was actually 30 years of a man's labor. That's like a fortune. A mina is about 25 grand. In the, in the parable of the talent, it's three men. In this story, it's 10 men. So the story is a little bit different, but check it out. He says, I want you to do business with this 25,000 until I come back but his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Now that's not very hospitable. And it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. So regardless of whether people like him or not, He did get his kingdom. But now bring my 10 slaves. I want to hear what they've done. And the first appeared and said, Master, your mina has gained 10 minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in very little things. Be in authority over 10 cities. Everybody say cities. And the second came and said, Your Mina, master, has made five Minas. Now we don't get all of the ten men, but the third man who came, this is what he said. By the way, the master says to the second, He says, Hey, you did good. Here's be over five cities. So the third came and he said, Master, behold, your Mina which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, then I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put the money into the, Into the bank. And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, I want you to take the Mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 Minas. I think this is interesting because everybody talks about the equity of outcomes. Everything needs to be equal in the end. Let me show you what Jesus thinks of that. He says, Give it to the one who has 10. Now, That doesn't seem fair. But look what the the others say. Verse 25, and they said to him, Master, he has 10 manas already. God is not saying that everybody gets the same thing in the end. He's not saying that, hey, you didn't work, but this guy worked over here. Everybody gets the same thing. God is not a communist. I knew that'd get a reaction out of this one. Master, he has 10 minas already. Watch what he says. I tell you that to everyone who, who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even that which he has shall be taken away. Now watch this verse. But these enemies of mine, remember the ones back in 14 that didn't want him to be king? said, we don't want this man to reign over us, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. That is not the Jesus that I worship, Pastor Nathan. Then you've made a different Jesus out of the one from the Bible. You don't have that right. If we can make Jesus be whatever we want him to be, Then he's crafted in our image. And in our world today, my friends, we've got a lot of people doing that to Jesus. They make Jesus look like whatever they want him to look like. This is the Jesus who, he's the king, and the king has consequences. But please don't forget that he was compassionate, he was concerned, Yes, he has consequences. And he's looking at his servants to say, what did you do with the life I gave you? I gave you a life. What did your life bring to me? Alexander, in the same year that he came against Jerusalem. He also came against a city called Tyre. The city of Tyre was not the first city that Alexander crushed. There was another city called Sidon that he crushed, and then he was coming down to Tyre, and this is down the coast of the Mediterranean as he's on his way towards Israel. Tyre was a a very strong city. It wasn't on the mainland. It was built out into a into an island that was a half a mile from the shore so as Alexander comes down he says hey i'm going to offer a sacrifice here in your city i want you to open up the gates and they said no just like what we saw that later the original jews were were going to do but they say no we're not opening up the gate he goes come on i'm just going to make a sacrifice and they're like we don't believe you we're not opening up the gates and after all, we're not like Sidon. You you can't get to us because we're out here and we got the sea as a moat. And he said, did you think the sea was going to save you? I'll fill the sea in. And they said, that could never happen. And what when you say something can never happen, then it happens. This is one of the great um, the great engineering marvels in war. that the story is ever told, because they begin to fill in the sea to make a road all the way out to the city of Tyre. It's, Its walls, the historian, one of the historians said it was 150 feet tall. They didn't think they could be conquered. And here... This causeway is being built and they're filling it in and they're attacking Alexander. And the more they attack him, the more mad he gets until he puts a, 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 a fleet all the way around them. And when he comes in there, he decimates Tyre to the ground, just decimates it. And the Jesus actually teaches on this city. Maybe you remember it. It actually comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 11 through 16. Jesus is saying woe to a lot of cities. I'll just, I'll just explain it to you. He says woe to three cities in particular. One was the city of, of Capernaum. That was the city that Jesus had his headquarters in. He says woe to a city called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is where Peter and Andrew were born, where they grew up and where Philip grew up. And then also to a city called Chorazin. And this was the triangle of where Jesus' ministry was heavily poured out in this area. He did all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles in this area. And he comes and speaks and says, Woe to Capernaum, woe to Bethsaida, woe to Chorazin, because if what has been done in those cities would have been done, and he brings up four cities. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we all know how wicked those cities were, and we know what their wickedness was. He says, if the things that I did in these three cities that were present in his day, if those things would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented with sackcloth and ashes. Whoa, it will be, it'll, be, it'll be worse for those present cities than it would be for Tyre and for Sidon. What is he talking about? They're all cities that did not acknowledge the authority over their life. They're all cities that didn't accept the lesser kings when the lesser kings came in. And he says, "One, one way mightier than those kings has come. A greater king has come. And you missed the day of your visitation. He's giving them as examples, warnings to us. I don't know about you. I'm grateful for warnings. Are you grateful for warnings? I know, hey, kids, teenagers, I know your parents give you lots of warnings. You think your parents are dumb. They're actually brilliant. And when you just get a little older, you'll figure that out. In the meantime, you think you know everything. They love you. They're trying to give you a warning to prevent harm from coming to your life. And yet, you're going to test them and say, I'm going to go find out for myself. Good luck with that. But woe to us if we look on Tyre and Sidon, Sodom, Gomorrah, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, and we do not hear. Because this king didn't just come with consequence. He came with compassion, concern. And unlike those other kings that just came in and destroyed, our king came in with the very costly sacrifice of his own life. He wanted to make peace with all men. And so he sacrificially gave his life. He did not stop them when they beat him. They did. He did not stop them whenever they nailed him to a tree. They punched him. They smacked him. They spit upon him. They ripped out his beard from its roots. And he never leveled an evil saying against them. He prayed for them. And yet, people today still reject that kind of a king. Get out your phones. Go ahead. It's okay. I want you to go to your photos. Go to your photos. If you're like me, in your photos, you probably have birthdays, anniversaries, You probably have different times where you hung out with friends and you do all those selfies, teenagers do them with duck faces. I want you to look at all the faces. Just look at those faces. Do all of those faces know Jesus? Can you, are you sure that all those faces in your phone, people you love, are you sure that if they were to die tomorrow that they would they would be with the king? Have they, would they be sit would they be standing on the outside of the walls with the gates open, waiting for Jesus to come? Or would they be on the inside going, no, I don't own him as my king? In the end, cities matter to him. Those people, they matter to him. And remember that what your life, when, when God gives you your mina, your life, he's asking this question, I've gone away, I'm going to return, and when I get back, what will your life have profited my kingdom? Will you be able to say, Jesus, I'm so glad you returned. My life has led to my five friends coming to know Christ. These 10 are in the kingdom. I worked hard while you were gone. I prayed for them. I used my voice. I did everything. I brought them to church. I, I, I lived Christ in front of them. I was there when they were going through the hard things. I used my opportunities to give them Christ. Or will you be found to be one of those many Christians Christians, that are told in the end, you worthless slave, you gave me nothing. I got nothing from your life. Folks, that ought to scare us. That's why I said this word is a word of urgency. Because the days are short. And if we as preachers don't Come back and tell you it's not all whatever church you like that has all the amenities you like. It's not about that. It's about the kingdom of God. People are going to hell. What are you going to do about it? He's going to slay the traitors before Him, He's going to judge His servants on what they accomplish. And I just want to ask you, do you care about the cities that he cares about? He weeps over them. Do you cry a tear? What moves you? Are you saying, I've heard it all before. Is your heart hard to it? Is your heart hard to it?